Welcome. Pull up a seat, grab a cup, and get ready to share, listen, and learn. This is my favorite coffee story with your host, Aniko Samoji. You'll hear about the stories about coffee itself, the history, health benefits, recipes, and more, along with some personal stories inspired by coffee and the lifestyle. Now, here is Aniko Somoji. Welcome to My Favorite Coffee Story. We are so glad you've joined us. Welcome to our listeners all around the world. We have an incredible guest joining us today. We are extremely grateful to welcome Dr. and Professor Selwa al um, from actually calling from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and we are delighted to welcome Dr. al And before I introduce um, Dr. al etc., I'd love to share with you a little bit what's going on at Anikona Farm. And... Our listeners enjoy just asking, what what's the latest project? And one exciting thing besides, of course, picking our next harvest and the red cherry, which is just glorious right now, we actually are getting ready for the holidays. And we've decided to put together a fun Anikona coffee basket with um, some special surprises in there. So I can't wait to share that with you. But... Um, Oh, we're just so excited about our show. And so I'd love to share with you a little bit about Dr. and Professor Selwa El Hazaz's incredible journey and her background. And uh, she is a Saudi ophthalmologist at the King Faisal Specialist Hospital and the head of the ophthalmology department. She is considered one of the most influential personalities in Saudi Arabia and the Arabia world in general. She's also considered to be a pioneer for Saudi women as she is the one of the first Saudi women to achieve international success academically, professionally, and politically. And in 2013, per the royal decree from King Abdullah, Dr. Al-Hazab became one of the first ever, first ever female members of Majlis al-Shura, Saudi's parliament. She was named Arab Women of the Year, Arab Woman of the Year, in the field of medicine and community services in 2005, and the Arab Women's Studies Center in Paris. In addition, Forbes International Magazine chose her as one of the most influential, most powerful Arab women in 2005. And just recently, in 2017, a Swiss university presented Dr. Al-Hazal with the Doctor of Humanity Award for her pioneering and unique contribution to her medical specialty. We are so honored and delighted to welcome Dr. Al-Hazal. Welcome to My Favorite Coffee Story. Well, thank you very much, Aniko, for having me. It is a pleasure and it is an honor to be part of this unique and global show. Oh, well, we are so delighted. Well, and the incredible thing is today is a historical moment there for Saudi women. Please tell us the most amazing thing that just happened, please. Right. A royal decree was actually announced last night, and um, uh, I would not say we were surprised, but we were thrilled, not just as Saudi females, but actually as a nation, where the Saudi woman 
has now been allowed to drive. Um, this was a, a thrill to many people. Now, as someone privileged as me, yes, I was thrilled, but I was really more thrilled for the underprivileged, which is my main aim and my main scope in the past, uh, in the past years. This will not only um, uh, lifting the ban on uh, driving, this will not only allow the females to drive, but it will actually improve the uh, uh, Saudi society, which in itself has been now driven since the oil uh, droppage, where we actually have to diversify our income. So the 2030 vision has been a big part of our, if you will, economic reform. And if we want this 2030 vision to succeed, we do have to include the Saudi woman, which is half of the population. And to be able to include the Saudi woman, you do have to give her mobility because this mobility will enhance her um, participation within the society and more important, be able to give her uh, more mobility to be able to have various jobs that are waiting for her. So in itself, this has been a unique experience for me. This is the second historical after being pointed to the Majlis Shura, where women for the first time were, being made, were, a, were part of the Majlis Shura. And for those of you that don't know what Majisashura, it is exactly um, what we call the Congress. So we were appointed, and so technically we, were, we are senators. So, again, so much is happening in Saudi Arabia, and to be able to include the woman in this movement has been very, very uh, uh, progressive. As we, I mentioned many a times, we do want this to be an evolution and we do not want it to be a revolution. Well, it's a monumental day, and uh, we're so honored that you've joined us because I know you have various interviews with BBC, etc., so this is such a true honor. And the My Favorite Coffee Story, Story Today show is all about health and coffee the Saudi way. And we just thought, oh, it'd be so wonderful to chat with you a little bit today to share your personal journey, a little bit about your career, some of your favorite stories while you were in medical school, etc. Dr. Selwa, please tell us um, about your journey, please, as you became a medical doctor at Johns Hopkins Medical School. Right. Well, interestingly, I come from an Hazza family um, where they are merchants. So in reality, um, they are all, uh, the family prior to my father were all illiterate. And uh, they were illiterate because they were merchants, they were rich, and they saw no need to go to, um, to educate themselves. But my father always had a vision. So he uh, wanted to go to school, but he knew that he could not leave the family, uh, more or less the family uh, business. So what he would do, and at that time they were bringing in cars. They were the Chevrolets, the Capris, from the United States to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And this was in the... 50s and 60s. So my father would actually do his job during the day, and he would get into one of these cars. And he was very young, eight, nine years old, 
and would actually go to the mosque. And he, the reason he would go to the mosque is because the mosque would teach at night, but they will only teach to the blind people. So my father had to fake that he was blind in order to educate himself. The reason for educating himself, he wanted to also educate his family. And this had a very important... At that time, he was married. He had, um, you know, when he went to school, uh, as, as time went by, he became, uh, he, he got married. And it was so interesting that when he finished the elementary and junior high before his marriage, because they married very young, he was told that there was no high school, and that it had to be done as homeschooling. So you can imagine, Aniko, for him to do homeschooling where he, where he kept this away from his father, from, well, it was his brother, but he looked at him as his father figure because he, uh, he did, his father had died at an early age, and from his mother. And so he was married at that time. He started having his children. And interestingly, we were five girls. And he passed his uh, homeschooling without anyone knowing that he was going to, to school. So when he finished the high school, someone told him, why don't you go ahead and submit your paperwork? So he, my father submitted his paperwork uh, because they, had, they were doing scholarships. And there were a total of 200, uh, at that time, um, if you will, graduates. They were very, very limited. And my father submitted his paperwork, and he was one of the seven that was actually chosen to go to the United States of America. And that's how the journey of us started. So if you can imagine for him to go to his brother, who is rich, powerful, and wealthy, and at the same time illiterate to him that I am going to the United States of America. At that time, he had four of us, four, four daughters, and my mother, who was very young. She was now 17 years old with four girls. And for him to tell his family, or if you will, his mother and his brother, that he was going to the United States of America, the response was, you will not go to the land of the infidels. That's the way... It was looked at, unfortunately, because we come from a very conservative part of Saudi Arabia. He was adamant. My mother's father came into the picture, who is a very big sheikh, meaning very, very religious and held. And he had told my mother at that time, if you ever think of leaving the country, you will be disowned. But here was a young father, a mother who now turned 18, was pregnant with her fifth child who was born, and at that time, my father decided to name the last child of Suzanne because he was adamant to go to the United States. His brother finally gave in, allowed him, and, but on one condition. He said, you take your wife, you go educate yourself, but you make sure these five girls are left in the kingdom so that they are brought up the Saudi way. My father, of course, agreed in the beginning just to get the ball rolling as they will, and as my father tells us, we were practically kidnapped by our own mom and dad to get us to the United States. And that's when my story started being in the United States, in Tucson, Arizona, where my father pursued learning English because he knew no English at that time. It was not taught. Then did his bachelor's degree and did his master's degree. And that's how um, I ended up in the United States of America as a youngster with my father. And my father has always been the person that has been the driving force for our education for us five girls who now hold various positions within the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Oh, 
Dr. Alhaza, what an incredible story. And thank you for sharing that. We um, And what an incredible example your father uh, presented to all of you. And growing up in Tucson, Arizona, that must be fascinating. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the memories of those times and how then you decided you'd like to actually go into medicine. Yes. Well, when we um, when we sort of got a little older, my father decided that we should now head back home because that was our roots, and it has always been our roots. Although at one time I did think I was a Mexican American, and so I was put back in my place. So when we came back to Saudi Arabia, we were uh, teenagers, and my father insisted that I go into medicine. Although I had never thought medicine would be my field, but at that time in Saudi Arabia, and I had to go back with the family because we're very family-oriented as Saudis. And I was told that I could only be one of two things, and this was in the, um, in the 80s. I can, only, um, I can only be a teacher or a physician. That were the only two options they had for the college. So I decided, I guess, to be a physician. So I went into medical school. I excelled because I tended to just concentrate on the medical school and forgot everything else. And... In all honesty, I'm glad now looking back, I don't think I would have chosen any other field. When I graduated from medical school, I had hopes to go to the United States of America, but I was told very loud and clear that as a single woman, and at that time the government was not supporting scholarships, that I would not be able to go to the United States. So instead of going back in my cocoon or becoming uh, depressed, I knew that my father had fought all odds to educate himself when he was alone. So that drive, every time I think of my father's drive, I thought I am not going to give up. So I went all around Riyadh, and interestingly, the only residency program that was recognized by the United States was ophthalmology. So ophthalmology chose me, and I did not choose it. So I decided to go into ophthalmology. I did not want to in any way defy our customs, which I have to respect, and a mother and a father and a family which had given me support. So I went into ophthalmology, I excelled, and then I became the ophthalmologist. In my last year, uh, my husband, who now I will, I have just finished 29 years with, and last uh, July 17th, um, had come and asked for my hand through the normal channels. I got a chance to meet him. I knew he was the man that I wanted after meeting him for six months. He happened to be, re, just by sheer coincidence, be relocated to Washington, D.C. I had already applied for the John Hopkins to do my fellowship, and it was just by sheer coincidence I got acceptance. So here's uh, my husband who got accepted in Washington, D.C. I got accepted in Baltimore. We went there I did my three-year fellowship in genetics and and retina, and during those three years, I did have my three children who are now actually in Los Angeles, one working, one doing a master's degree in architectural engineering at the University of Southern California, and one preparing for epidemiology and biostatistics in the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. Well, 
the the stories that you're sharing are so inspiring for our listeners, Dr. Alhaza, and we are looking forward to hearing a little bit more about your experiences there at Johns Hopkins, maybe even some favorite coffee stories during those studies. And we'll even chat a little bit more about how Saudi coffee is prepared and the delicious elements of cardamom and saffron and how those are sort of woven into the flavors. We are going to take a quick break, please. And listeners, please join us when we come back with Dr. Al-Hazah to learn a little bit more about health and coffee the Saudi way. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Fire can destroy your home, your business, and your life in seconds. On Speaking of Fire with co-hosts Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, we investigate fire, the origin and causes, and provide important information to prevent accidental fires and save your life, loved ones, and your property. We speak to experts about technology, investigative research, and insurance issues with regard to fire. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to My Favorite Coffee Story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
Welcome back to my favorite coffee story. And we've been having such an amazing time with Dr. Al Haza in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. We've been talking about, first of all, the monumental historical degree that just happened um, for Saudi women that they are able to drive. But Dr. Al Haza has been sharing with us a little bit about her personal journey and career and uh, how she actually got into the medical field in um, ophthalmology, but we were just about to talk about a little bit more about those memories during medical school and possibly maybe some coffee stories during those studies, as well as the special way that Arabic coffee is prepared. Dr. Al-Hazab, please share with us some special memories during your school days, as well as a little bit more about Arabic coffee, please. Of course. Um, it's so interesting that uh, I, I, I was able to pursue my studies at the John Hopkins Hospital, did my three-year fellowship, they used to call me, along with during that time, I would either be pregnant or nursing, because I had my three children all, uh, if you will, uh, after each other. It was like a year difference between them. And so I was able to excel, and I remember Dr. Richard Green, my God bless his soul now, would, would either say to me, Selwa, you are either pregnant or you are either nursing. And I would come back to Dr. <laughs> Richard Green, and I would say, who is your best fellow? And then he would come back and say, my best fellow and the hardest working fellow is Selwa Hazza. So I would come back and say to him, then please don't judge with what I look like or what I have. Just judge my productivity. So I was able to pursue these three years. I did it well. I had excellent uh, uh, support from my, uh, you know, from my work. I had excellent support from my colleagues because, as you have to remember, we were a distance. Then I remember when I when I came back, I was I worked at the King Faisal Specialist Hospital, and it was just uh, so intriguing. And I, I'll never forget um, the one coffee story that has always struck me. We had to do surgery for one young boy. I, I don't remember what the surgery, but I, if, I, if my memory serves me right, it, was, it had to be under general anesthesia. So it must have been a cataract surgery for congenital cataracts. And I remember every time we would put this baby to sleep, he just would not fall asleep. And the anesthesiologist could not understand why this young boy was not able, was not able to, um, was not able to uh, go to sleep. And so after many, many trials, they had to cancel the, the surgery. So we went back to his parents, and we were trying to find out why we were not able to put this young boy, and I recall he was like four years old, to sleep. And so we started asking, um, you know, about his habits, his food, what it was. And long and behold, it really struck us that the father said something very important to us. He said, every morning I would wake up in the early morning and drink my wonderful Saudi coffee. They were actually Bedouins, and so meaning that they lived in the desert in the tents, and we would bring them into the hospital because we had, they had access, and this was something beautiful of the government, that it, it is free access to our one of the most important hospitals, the King Faisal Specialist Hospital, which is not only in Saudi Arabia, but in the whole of the Middle East. So he would tell us every time I would drink coffee, I would actually give my son, who was at that time, to drink coffee. So here was this young boy who was drinking coffee <laughs> on a regular basis. So when we tried to put him to sleep, 
maybe being young, because I know that many of the older people do drink coffee, but for some reason, I think his small body, we just could not put him to sleep. So we knew that we had to increase the dose. We were able to go back the following week and finally put him to sleep. But it just shows you that the coffee is a family thing. Even though the father was drinking it, he was actually offering it to this young Bedouin boy. And I will never forget that that always struck me. So since that day, I have always had an interest in the Saudi coffee. The Saudi coffee is really a very important symbol. Not only does it signify generosity and hospitality, but it is, it is a symbol that actually the family get together to drink. One of the most important uh, months in our um, culture and our religion is the month of Ramadan. This is where we fast from sundown to sunrise. The first thing that we break our fast in, this is why they call it breakfast, you're actually breaking your fast, is actually the Saudi coffee. We all gather around. This is one time where the whole family actually all eats at the same time uh, because usually we're all working. We have different things. This is the one time that we all work together, uh, that we all actually share together after work. And we actually break our um, we actually break our fast uh, during that time with this Arabic coffee, which we consider a very important and integral part, not only of breaking our fast, but putting the family together um, at one time. So the coffee has always been a symbol of hospitality. The Saudi coffee it has always been a symbol of. Uh, of generosity, and more important, it is a symbol of our religion and getting the family together. So this is one of the stories that I, I always remember and always uh, and always will remember when it comes to, uh, to the coffee and this young four-year-old uh, Bedouin who his father was sharing his coffee with him simply because it was a family-oriented beverage that he wanted his son to also share with him in the early morning when they have it within their tent. Well, it's it's so interesting to hear how Saudi coffee is so connected to Saudi culture, and it is a symbol of hospitality, and it weaves the family together. Um, thank you for sharing that. How is Saudi coffee prepared, please? The Saudi coffee, interestingly, you know, we, we know, I, I was really surprised when I was looking into it that, that 60 to 70% of the coffee in, in, the, in the world is actually Arabic coffee. That, to me, was very, very um, intriguing. I had not known this, so I had done a little homework. And we have to know, every time you think of coffee, they always tell us the Ethiopian coffee and the Yemeni coffee is always the best coffee. That's what we have always, I have always. And when I looked into it, it is true. The coffee that comes, and this goes back to the 15th century. So the coffee, the Saudi coffee is different from other coffees. Interestingly, it is not your black coffee. When we get our coffee beans, whether it comes from Yemen, whether it comes from Ethiopia, it is so interesting it is so interesting that uh, um, it is a light coffee. So when we roast it, we roast it very, very lightly. We might 
roast a couple of them a little darker, but the coffee is actually made very, very light. It's roasted very, very light. So when we make it, it is actually green. And people, um, it is not your typical black coffee, uh, like you have the Turkish coffee or the Arabic coffee. The Saudi coffee is actually very light. It's very green, simply because it's roasted very lightly. Another important thing is when we do our coffee, it's a spicy coffee. Milk is never put into the coffee, so we are very different from your traditional coffees that you do. What we do is spicy. So there are three main ingredients, and it's really done in a very particular way, meaning it really needs um, a special coffee, uh, if you will, pot, which is metal. And many a times it's actually copper. And it's, so you, when you, when you uh, boil your water, you put your, your um, light coffee beans, and they, are, and they are green. They are green at that point. So um, what we do is after it boils, we, are, we add three important ingredients. And this is for all the Saudi coffee. Your cardamom is one of the most important ingredients that you actually put into it. For those that don't know cardamom, it's very spicy. It's also very greenish. So that gives the coffee more green. We also put what we call the, uh, the, the cloves. This gives it that sort of zest, if you will. And then we put the saffron. I think many people know what the saffron is. The saffron tends to also give it a nice yellow uh, color in addition to its beautiful aroma. So if you look at it, not only is it green and light, and it's further made green by the cardamom, it's also, it's got that nice yellow tinge to it from the saffron. The clove gives it that zest. So I will tell you, when we pour the coffee, the aroma that comes out of this coffee is something that you can smell, as they say, a mile away. And now mm-hmm. when it's taken from the, uh, the pot, it's put into a special, uh, what we call bella. It's a beautiful coffee, nothing expensive, but it is a beautiful coffee, and it's usually gold. So you usually do it in the copper, but you transfer it into this gold, beautiful, and it's not real gold, but it's gold-colored with a beautiful handle to it, if you will, and a beautiful mouth to it, that in itself, and how they keep the actual saffron and the cardamom at the bottom, in the clothes, without it coming out into your coffee cup, which will I will explain, is done by the palm trees. When we have our palm trees, if you look at the palm trees, they have sort of like a net, if you will. This beautiful net that you take off actually the stalk of the palm tree, they wash it, and they use that as a sieve. And this sieve actually will only let the coffee come out and hold, and it's a natural sieve. And we'll hold back your saffron. We'll hold, you don't want that in the cup. We'll hold back your cloves. We'll hold back the cardamom in this beautiful coffee cup. Now, when it is being presented, it is usually presented by the youngest in the majlis. When we say majlis, we're talking about the seating. It's usually, or it can be done by the host depending on the occasion. And always, the coffee 
pot, this gold coffee pot with this natural seed, has to always be held in the left hand. We have these beautiful little coffee cups that have no handles to them. You hold them with your four, uh, you actually hold them with your four fingers and thumb. And these are little coffee cups that whoever is serving must hold these coffee cups at least six, five to six in his right hand. So when he pours this beautiful coffee with this beautiful aroma from this beautiful uh, coffee pot, this old coffee pot, they, they do it in a very stylish way where they can raise it very, very high. And you see the coffee dripping, and they are very experienced in this. And it goes into this beautiful coffee cup, but we never fill up the coffee cup. If any coffee cup is filled, this is an insult to your guests. We actually put it one-third. If we want to be a little generous, we might go to one-half. But you never fill the coffee cup more than one-half, because if you do, then what you are saying to your guests is drink fast and leave. So usually they can have up to five to six cups. So he gives the most eldest within the majlis or within the seating area and then goes to the next in order. Um, and it's done. And then when he finishes these five or six cups to these guests, he will go back and collect another five to six. Coffee is usually drunk about three to five cups because it's poured in little. To us, it's very sacred. You tend to sort of sip it slowly because of this beautiful aroma. You tend to smell it more than sip it in the beginning. You usually give to five to six cups, and you never say, I don't want any more coffee. You don't talk when you're drinking your coffee because it's a symbol of generosity. It's our hospitality. It's our tradition. It's our culture. So when you are done, you don't say, I don't want coffee. This is not the Saudi way. What you do is you take your coffee and you just gently shake it. When you gently shake it, whoever's pouring the coffee will take it and put it at the bottom because he's still serving maybe coffee to the others. But if you want more, it's at the top. If you don't, if you have finished, it's put at the bottom of this stack of coffee cups. That's what the Saudi coffee is, my dear. Oh, Dr. Al-Hazad, that you brought the whole ceremony to life and just how it it weaves and filters through uh, Saudi life. Thank you for sharing that so elegantly and eloquently for us. And I, I just, I felt like we were there with you. We are so looking forward to chatting a little bit more about your experiences as an ophthalmologist in Saudi Arabia. In 1995, you were appointed as the first female physician to the Medical Advisory Council, and that's the strongest governing body of King Faisal Specialist Hospital Research Center. We are looking forward to chatting a little bit more about your experiences in um, being appointed as the first female physician, and we also are looking forward to hearing about um, a little bit more about all the articles that you've written and experiences as a consultant in genetics. When we come back right after the break, we look forward to having you back. Um, listeners, and thank you for joining us.
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. We live in perilous times on a beautiful yet fragile planet. As a species, we are not doomed to self-destruct. We can live in peace and in love for one another. We can save this, our only home. We must mature. Open your mind. Soften your heart. Listen for the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. With host Lauren N. Nile. Tune in. The Fate of Humanity airs Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to My Favorite Coffee Story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to my favorite coffee story. We are talking about health and coffee the Saudi way with Dr. Al Hazar in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. We were just talking about the beautiful ceremony around Saudi coffee and how it's prepared and how it's served and how it greets and welcomes um, family members and visitors to a Saudi home. And now we'd like to share a little bit more about uh, Dr. Al-Hazaz's experiences being an ophthalmologist in Saudi Arabia and how she's written over 60 articles and papers. And um, it's been an incredible thing to hear about her uh, research in genetics. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit more, Dr. Al-Hazaz, about what is it like, please, being an ophthalmologist in Saudi Arabia? Well, as, as I mentioned, um, in Saudi Arabia at that time, you could only be a teacher and physician. So if you would compare the numbers or statistics of Saudi females being physicians um, in comparison, for instance, to the state, you would be surprised that it is a higher number because we had no other 
choices. Um, so um, uh, the Saudi female is really appreciated as a, as a doctor. In fact, as a physician or as a doctor, you are giving a little, you are given a more leeway simply because we are a segregated country. Uh, whether it comes to the schools, to the banks, to the different sectors. But in medicine, this is one, uh, if you will, field where you cannot segregate. We are looked at as physicians regardless of our gender, and we do examine both sexes. So I have been very fortunate that I was actually, um, that I went into this field. And up to this day, I do thank my father who insisted that I go into medicine and at that time was not allowed to, you know, go abroad. So I had to take ophthalmology as my course. So I remember um, when we first started, when you mentioned earlier, I was on the advisory board. And I remembered my father always telling us things are not given but taken. So um, when they were forming the advisory board, I don't know how I did it. I had just come back from the States. I was still young. Not really. I had finished my fellowship with that and was still in the early years. And I remember going up to the microphone. They were asking questions. And I said, "What is? why do you not appoint females to the advisory board? Now, this was really unheard of at that time. But it, was, it just um, touched me that uh, a couple of weeks later, I was called into the big boss's office and I was worried. I thought, what did I do? What did I do? Because you don't get called in as a, just a beginning consultant. And that's when I was given the news, Dr. Selwa, you have been appointed as a member to the advice. And I was not meaning myself. I, there were much more senior females over me. But for some reason, I think because I had taken the step forward, I was appointed to that. Now, there are many stories. I think one of the most important stories that I would like to share, and this really sheds a lot on the Saudi woman in ophthalmology, is during my residency before going to the John Hopkins, and this was in 19... Um, I remember it. I don't know why I cannot forget it. This was in 1986. They had a an actual award where um, you should submit uh, your research uh, uh, your research project. And at that time, it was only staff that were presenting it because we were just beginners. But I don't know. I just took that step forward and I went ahead and I presented my project, not thinking, but I thought, you know, it, there's no harm. And it really um, thrilled me when I was called by the uh, the actual director of the program saying, Dr. Selwa, you have chosen your uh, research project as the number one and you have taken the award. It was really very thrilling. So I, had to, I was in Riyadh. They were having the ceremony in Jeddah. So um, I was asked actually to go to Jeddah to get my award. My mother at that time, now my brother Khalid, who's the youngest and um, was actually born in the States. My mother said to me, why don't you take your brother with you? He seems to be bored. So I thought, why not take him? It would be good. Because at that time, for a female to travel with a male companion was much more um, becoming. So I thought, why don't I hit, hit two birds with a stone? I please my mother, and I also please the audience. So I took my brother with me. We went to the ceremony. I will never forget it. We sat on the, and this was just, a, I, this actually changed a lot in the course of the females. I remember sitting during the meeting up in the, um, uh, in the actual, um, in the actual ballroom, if you will. And then they, you know, they, they recited the Holy Quran, the minister of health got up and talked. And I had the program in my hand and I looked to see what my number was. I was number five. Of course, they don't write names, you know, the recitation of the Holy Quran, the minister, and then the 
Never. And then it said number five was the uh, best research uh, project. Now, when they had actually tabulated this uh, program, they did not know who was taking the best research project. So I waited. And then when it came to number five, I sort of got myself together. And interestingly, they jumped. So they went to six and seven. Then the intermission came in. So I was really very, very surprised. I looked into uh, the program again. I'm thinking, why did they jump me? So uh, when the intermission came, I went down uh, very elegantly and I asked uh, the person, why was my name jumped? Uh, why did you not announce it? Well, Doctora, we did not know you would be a female. And remember, this is in 1986 and we have TVs going on and it would be very difficult to announce a woman, especially since the TV is on. And I asked, who is in charge? And they said, His Royal Highness. I went, remember, I'm a first-year resident. I went very elegantly and quietly to His Royal Highness. <laughs> I said, I worked hard. I have, I got this award, and I think I deserve to actually take it. He said, the TV, I said, you can turn off the TV, but I deserve to go up on that podium and, and get my award. And especially since my brother was with me, and I knew he would be a tattletale and tell my mother and father everything. So, interestingly, after the intermission, they did announce it. They did sort of turn off the TVs, and I, which I did not mind. And I went and I, they announced my name, and I actually went and got the award, which was very thrilling. And uh, so this story was like in 1986. Fifteen years later now, I'm Dr. Salwal Hazza. I'm asked to come and attend this uh, 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 the ceremony 15 years later in Riyadh, and I'm seated up in front. And interestingly, the person that got the award was a female. So her name was called. She pounced up, went up and shook hands with the minister, shook hands with the uh, His Royal Highness at that time, continued to be, and with the delegates up there. Uh, the TV was on. The lights were on. And then she came and sat next to me. And I said to her, you know, congratulations. You're very lucky. She says, yes, I know. I said, no, you don't understand. She looked at me. She said, what is it, Dr. Salo? I said, I was in your same shoes 15 years ago. And I was actually skipped, but I insisted on going up there and getting it because I wanted to open doors for other females. And to see you up there walking and prancing with confidence and no restrictions, no obstacles, I know that what I did 15 years ago as a first-year resident has opened doors for other females. So now every single female that does get the, um, the award is actually um, awarded that, let alone now that we are able to drive and be in the Medjushura so that tells you we have done a lot in a very short time. And this is what I tell the West. Please, let us fight our own fight. Yes, we had the oil boom. We can change the buildings. We can change the cars. But you can't change culture. This takes time. And it takes time because we want it to be an evolution, not a revolution. Yes, well, I love your quote, uh, I seek to be the next generation's role model. That is so beautiful. You were just awarded the distinction of Dr. Humanity, and uh, what an incredible award. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that, please. I was just as surprised as you. I don't even know the Franklin University. I've never really dealt with the Swiss uh, universities are more of the American, the John Hopkins. I'm now a clinical professor at the University of Southern California. And so I got a call indicating, Dr. Haza, are you available? So, and I said, yes. They said, well, we had a meeting. We've looked into your um, background. We've looked into your professional, and we would like to inform you that you have been chosen 
by our steering committee, which was uh, like a total of almost uh, 27 members, and we have chosen you, and we would like you to come and take this Humanity Award, and at the same time, we would like you to be the inspiring person to give the commencement uh, uh, speech to our, uh, they were almost, uh, I think, like 600 uh, graduates. It really thrilled me. I'm not sure how it was. I remember once someone visiting the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and I, um, and I think they were from the Franklin University. But you know, all in all, everyone that comes from outside the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, I have always been hospitable. I have like a tent, and I think she was, she or he was probably part of the, the, um, the actual group that was coming from various different groups. But anyways, I did go and get it, and it just thrilled me. It thrilled me when I was telling stories, and I told much more stories, Nico, than I'm telling you now. And then the mother came to me um, from uh, South America, and she says, I can relate to what you said. Another mother was actually from the States. I can't remember which part of the States because she was there. Her daughter had graduated. She had sent her to the Franklin University. And she said, you know, the minute you started talking, I just felt safe. I've never heard that. And I felt at home. It was just so interestingly that uh, it was so, it was very interestingly that uh, I had heard that quote. I had never heard it. So I knew that regardless of what nationality you are, what culture you are from, interestingly, we are all mothers and we are all females struggling to be the role models uh, for the next generation. That's why we are put here on this earth. The reason I say that is because I did not have a role model. I was the first generation. I have always wanted to look up to a Saudi female. The only person I could look up to was my mother, who was actually illiterate by force because there was no schooling when my mother was born and had gone and she had gotten married, being illiterate and learned to read and write after. So my role model was my mother, even though she was illiterate. I wanted to be a role model for the next generation. And to have a mother who was illiterate by force and to have the next generation, and my mother had me when she was like 14, they used to marry young, to have the next generation, physicians, bankers, educators, surgeons, tells you that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has done a wealth of uh, progress in such a short time span. Well, the the way that you have balanced your uh, incredible medical career as well as have such beautiful children and how you balanced that is is really remarkable. And we had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Al-Hazah as well as her three children here at Anikona Farm. And we were so honored and so delighted. We met um, through our mutual wonderful friend, Dr. Susan Zempt here, who's a, an incredible ophthalmologist in Kona, Hawaii. And that I'll, I'll always remember that as a special memory here at Anikona Farm, being together, sharing stories, and then uh, just so grateful to you, Dr. Alhazah, of sharing your journey, your um, the way you are seeking to be the next generation's role model, and all the good that you're doing in the field of medicine. Um, before we close, we'd love to ask you, please, those. Um, research projects and what you've received the awards for in genetics and eye diseases. Quickly, please tell us what is your latest project that you're working on and researching, because I also know that you are um, 
on uh, the special team that does medical clinical research as a clinical scientist and consultant in consultant in genetics mm-hmm. research there at the yes. research center. Please tell of us um, quickly before we close. Yes, of course. You have to remember here in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and in the Gulf area, consanguinity, which means marrying into the family, is very common. So when there is consanguinity or marriage into the family, you tend to have a lot of genetic diseases that are taken from one generation to another. Even though uh, the late Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, during his days, had discouraged marrying uh, into families and had mentioned it very loud and clear, and I always mention the proverb, but the culture sometimes prevails, and unfortunately, um, unfortunately, the uh, culture, as I said, prevails, and people tend to marry within the family for the wealth, to keep the money in, and to keep the actual... Uh, to keep the actual, if you will, heritage. So um, what has happened is the genetic diseases are really very, very, very common here in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So I remember when I came back in 1993, I was asked, Duane's ophthalmology sort of considered the encyclopedia, if you will, of us as ophthalmologists. And they had asked me at that time that they wanted me to actually participate and write a chapter, and I could not understand why me, but later I understood because we do have a wealth of genetic diseases. So that's how my journey started. I had done my genetic uh, um, training with uh, Professor Irene Mominy at the Wilmer Institute, who is an icon, and I just call her the mother of genetics in the world, and I still keep in touch with her. So um, I was able to pursue my genetics uh, uh, interest and career when I came to Saudi Arabia, because we were sitting on a gold mine, what you would hear in the literature of one disease, two diseases, three diseases at the King Faisal Specialist Hospital, having the largest genetic center, we would have up to 16 to 18 genetic diseases. So at the moment right now, my, my main interest is on what we call retinitis pigmentosa, which simply means being blind at night. You tend not to be able to see. This is a very common genetic disease in the West, but very, very common here in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And we are trying to map the disease. We have done a lot of progress, and now we actually have a genetic panel at the King Faisal Specialist Hospital, which no one has done. And we have been very, very fortunate to be able to take out that genetic panel. And um, I'm waiting for more and more success in this because this will be and this will be able to restore vision to many, many people, not only in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, the Gulf and Arab countries, but all over the world. That is an incredible research project. And we are so grateful to you, Dr. Alhazah, for joining us today, sharing your amazing story, sharing a little bit about coffee, the Saudi way, and interesting favorite coffee stories. Thank you so much. We've been so honored to have you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We look forward to um, being back together next week. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. And we wish you a relaxing, good, good week. Aloha. Thank you for taking an hour out of your busy week to join us on My Favorite Coffee Story. Please tune in again for another edition with your host, Aniko Samoji, next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, we hope you'll have a relaxing week.